guys. Uh, today, let's start with uh, a semi-advanced concept because it's actually quite valuable right from the very beginning. Okay, and that, that concept that we're talking about is within the Paticca Samuppada. Now, the Paticca Samuppada actually is, uh, definition of it is um, dependent origination. And what that means is, is that everything that does have a beginning, anything that is originated is dependent upon factors. We call that in uh, English and in scientific language, it would be the cause and effect. Okay, but in fact, the uh, the physicists are going more and more and more into what is causation. What is causation in the sense of uh, what causes the speed of light to be the speed of light? That's where they're going with this. Why is it that that frequency is because it has causes and conditions for it. And when we begin to look at it that way, everything, all of physics has dependent origination. Everything does. And so um, with that um, understanding, we can go to the part about that all dukkha has a cause. But this is actually the second noble truth of the book is uh, what is the cause of dukkha. And we talk about it in the sense of an easier beginner's way of looking at it is the uh, Mara and his three daughters. So there are three causes that run and work together. And in fact, two of the causes are twins. Or better still, two of them are the same thing. It depends upon whether it's coming or going. So if you want things to go away, then that would be ill will. And if you want things to come close to you, then that's greed. And when we don't know that we're doing that, that's ignorance. Or when we think that it's okay to do that, that's ignorance. So this is the second noble truth, which is uh, the primary teaching of the Buddha is that there is dukkha. And that dukkha is caused, and yet most people see themselves as a victim, a victim of their circumstances, a victim of birth, a victim of their comma, a victim of this, that, and the other thing, where in fact, uh, being a victim of something, uh, being rattled, addled, pushed around by something, is not due to the something that we're claiming it to be. It's the fact that we can't get pushed around if we're not there. If we can get out of our own way and not care. Okay, that's the whole point is, is that we often make ourselves a target. If you're not there, there's no target to hit. And so whatever it was that you thought had caused you ill will, suffering, or dukkha, or uh, longing, or whatever it was that you feel, recognize it, we cause that. We're the causation. It happens in the mind and no place else. Some people think of dukkha as, in fact, um, 
life itself is dukkha. In fact, there was a, <laughs> a bumper sticker in the U.S. back in the 1980s that said, um, life sucks, and then you die. Or maybe life is shit, and then you die. Okay. Uh, there's an interesting way of looking at that in the sense of life sucks. Well, life sucks when we're sucking on something, and we only suck on things that we care about. In other words, if somebody handed you a brand new soft drink, a smoothie or something like that, and you tasted it and you didn't care for it, then you're not going to start sucking on that straw. But if you like it and care about it, then you're going to suck on that straw. And we do that our whole lives. We're out there sucking on things and we're sucking on stuff because we care. And this is a new kind of language. Normally, we don't talk about it in that kind of language. Uh, the language of the of the suttas and whatnot is actually quite stilted. It's it's already old English. It really is old, and some of it is is made up English. Get into some of that. So, in fact, you could say that the word dukkha only means being dissatisfied. That's all it means. It does not mean suffering. Suffering is when we're sucking really, really, really hard. <laughs> but any sucking we're doing is do done out of dissatisfaction. And so the entire position then of the teaching of the Buddha would be all we have to do is stop caring, stop sucking, and be satisfied. That's the essence of the teaching. But it's kind of hard to do because we forget all about it. Okay. The example that I use, in fact, is something, uh, uh, it's an old line drawing that I saw, and it's a guy standing in a pond surrounded by alligators. And the caption of that is, is that it's hard to remember that you're here to drain the swamp when you're up to your hips in alligators. Guess what? The alligators are, we brought them with us into the pond. And in fact, if you stay in the pond long enough, you're going to become one of the alligators. No longer interested in draining the swamp. So that little analogy then kind of helps in uh, that understanding that it's not life itself that sucks. It's that we're doing things that make it suck. And all we have to do is stop doing the things that make life suck and be satisfied with the way that it is. That's really the whole teaching of the Buddha. Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. Stop being dissatisfied. Stop sucking. Stop caring. And just hang out. Chill out, baby. There's no place to go and nothing to do. And so the practice of Anapanasati then is all about just practicing that over and over and over and over again. Why? Because of all of those alligators we have. All of the old stuff, 
all of the swampy water, all of that is stored in the mind, and we're right, in, right much in the habit of wanting and caring about things. And one of the ways that we want or care about things is by setting standards, making rules. Oh, I've got to, I've got to work to eat is one of the favorite ones. And you recognize it? No, listen, probably an entire billion people on the planet Earth don't work. They eat. There's a whole lot of people who work really, really hard that don't eat well. So there's more circumstances to it than if you don't work, don't eat. That, in fact, is uh, a delusionary statement about cause effect. Okay, so that's a falsehood. Make cause and connections together. You work, and that's the cause of you eating. That's not the case at all. Investigate will recognize, oh no, eating and working are often uh, completely separated. And when we're mixing them together, we're not doing a very good job of either one of them. And how would you do this in a in a society like a Western society? I guess maybe America would be a bit easier because you, there's more room, more nature there. But for example, in the Netherlands, I would be uh, stealing from some farmer, or uh, like how would I live without working? That doesn't. Well, I could. I could depend on the government, of course. There are there are ways. Actually, it depends more upon the friends you make. You could be great enemies of your government and not get much of anything out of them. That, in fact, that's a very interesting thing about prison is they intentionally make the food in prison not very good. They want it to be bad so that you hate being there. Because that's the whole point about putting you in prison. If you were, if you were able to have a, a, a ball in prison, Nobody's going to bother you. They give you food. You don't even have to leave to go get it. And not only that, but you're really good friends with everybody there. Uh, in a way, a prison could be a, a good place to meditate. It's yeah, very right. structured. Mm -hmm. I have to get up early in the morning. No, you don't have to. Not if you're in solitary confinement. The worst of it is yeah, that's true. where people go to crazy is because of uh, uh, being alone uh, violates their uh, uh, instinctual habits of society and socialization. And they, they, they lust and thirst after sensory input. And you've had enough sensory input, yeah. you don't care about sensory input, and you've had enough of socialization, you don't care about socialization. Being in jail all by yourself sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it really, uh, that's very true. Uh, actually, it reminds me, I saw that, uh, I'm not sure I'm, I'm saying his name correctly, but Stitch Nathan, that he was also doing like a, programs in prison to teach the prisoners meditation. It was very interesting. Yes. Um, those kind of programs are not very popular with wardens because that uh, uh, kind of exacerbates his uh, job. 
He doesn't want prisoners who are really easy to take care of and are happy people. If that happened, he wouldn't need any guards. He wouldn't even have to go to work. Prisoners would just take care of themselves. And then he's got nothing to do. And so he starts to worry, oh, if I don't work, I don't eat. Let's go make some prisoners miserable so I have a job to do. <laughs> so that whole idea then is, is that when we begin to recognize that the cause of our suffering is because we care about things. We, we like something and then we want it. If we like it, we want it, we care about it, and then we grasp and cling for it. And when we don't care about something, if we're kind of neutral to things, then it doesn't matter anymore. And so uh, one of the definitions of dukkha is um, wanting things that you don't have or putting up with things that are difficult to put up with. You don't like it. Okay, so this is actually Loba Moha Dosa, the second noble truth, is that right there. It's based in our feelings, it's how we feel about things. And yet most people think that they're actually a victim to their own feelings. And yet we were always completely in control of them. Always were. We were just ignorant of the fact that we were always in control of them. And so now, begin to practice well to intentionally feel the way that we want to feel because basically we've been talking ourselves into feeling bad our whole lives now it's time to start talking ourselves into feeling good that's the joy of it that's what makes it simple a simple practice but it has to be repeated over and over and over and over and over again that in fact, uh, any dance or any music or any poem has a meter or a rhythm to it. And there is, uh, all of music has that. There's several uh, pieces of music that are really, really powerful when you understand that the whole piece of music is based upon the tempo. Example of that is Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Da 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 da. Okay, just those four notes. Da, 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 da. I think you were Beethoven in your previous life. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, but not that far back. <laughs> There's been many, many thousands of Beethovens in the past 150 years. Um. Another one is um, the girl from Impanibra. Da 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 Hear that rhythm over and over. Another one that's quite brilliant is Valero. Dum da 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 dum da 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 dum da 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 dum da 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 dum da 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 dum da 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 dum now the snare dream snare drum is the first thing it plays and that's what i'm parting starting off with and then all the other instruments come in with all kinds of things while that uh 
snare drum continues with that same beat. It's a whole note, then a triplet, or excuse me, quarter note, triplet, quarter note, triplet, quarter note, triplet, triplet, no triplet. So dump, da 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 dump, da 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 dump, da da da, da da da, da 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 dump. So one of the whole quarter notes is changed from a triplet or into a triplet there, and that's what gives that whole sequence its meter. So everything that happens in your mind happens in that meter, in that phrase. That in fact the Buddha has a word for it. It's called sankara. Is it not sankara? Samsara. That's the word. You've probably heard the word samsara. Things keeps happening over and over and over again, like that bolero. Now you're going to call me Ravel. <laughs> so, um, if we recognize these sequences that happen, one of the things that happen is while we're on the wheel of samsara and we're at one place, we like it, but then the wheel moves around and now we were attached to where we And so we get to the next point of the wheel and we don't like this one. And then we come up to another point of the wheel and we like that. And then we come to another point of the wheel and I don't like that. And so here we go from liking and not liking back and forth on this wheel of samsara and we're completely ignorant to the system. So what are we going to do with our practice of Anapanasati is just to wake up to that, wake up to this rhythm, wake up to the way that we think and, and listen to the kind of music that we're playing. Because most of the music has this quality to it is just that some rule comes up. This is how it should be. And then we respond to that. Now that rule that came up, the Buddha's calling Silabhata Paramasa. Rites, rule, rituals, and they come up in the mind. And um, Sigmund Freud called that a super ego, and <clears throat> Ari Byrne called it the parent ego state. Why? Because we almost get all of our rule parents and the people they associate with. So um, we grow up ignorantly making new rules, making rules up. Kids actually make up rules. Many of them make up rules and get really serious and care about them, and other kids make up rules knowing that this is just a new game that we're playing. You can play another game and change the rules. Okay, so that's what we're actually learning is, is that we can change the rules that we have in our head. And then we're responding to those rules when they come up. And in Eric Burns' language, he calls that um, the child ego state the neurophysiologists call it the anterior cortex or reptilian brain. And that's where all of our feelings, motor movements, nervous systems, and all of that's connected together down through the brainstem into the body. So that's the source of all of our feelings. Okay. And uh, that works also with the, with the, uh, the lymph nodes and the lymph glands, especially the... Uh, uh, 
for the amygdala is a gland and also the pineal and the pituitary glands and they talk to other glands like the adrenaline gland so in fact you could say that uh buddha teaches only one thing dukkha dukkha naroda in the glands that's where it all is okay but these glands are um let us say pushed and pulled around by the chemicals that are around them. And so all we have to do then is to change the chemical system, but the chemical system has what you would call a homeostasis or a status quo, a habit. And so when we're not thinking strongly and correctly practicing Anapanasati to remember to change how we are talking, change how the body feels, and then begin to change the feelings, it will revert back to the homeostasis. One of the places you can see homeostasis very strongly are people who are trying to lose weight. Body doesn't want to do that. Body resists changing that homeostasis that it has. Okay, so that homeostasis. Uh, uh, a question about this is okay. uh, interesting that you bring it up. Because um, I found that over the years, as I practiced more and more, even with a lot of gaps in between, uh, that it felt like I had some sort of like muscle memory when it came to uh, meditation. So that I would lose a lot of progress, but when I started meditating again, that it would come like much easier than it did before. Yes, that's like what all habits. You can learn to play baseball enough in the, uh, as, a, as a kid to be on your own local little league team. Then you don't play baseball at all for years. And you've got a son. You start teaching him baseball. You've got a four-year-old there. And guess what? All of the skills that you had as a kid come back to you while you're teaching those skills to your own son precisely what we're talking about, right? That old imprinting stays around. That old imprinting, by the way, the Buddha calls it Sankara. You're specifically mentioning uh, in this regard, or talking about uh, baseball, we're talking about bodily Sankara. Many of us have bodily Sankaras, depending upon what sport, what uh, uh, military training, what music training, we've all got various levels of skills in various ways. Um, a lot of it has to do with reaction time. A lot of what we're doing with Anapanasati also is speeding up the reaction time. How quickly hits that? That cycle that we're on, that cycle sometimes takes 10 seconds to go around the cycle. Sometimes it takes years to go around the cycle. But if you've got one that's 10 or 20 seconds going around, can you catch that thing and recognize it? Okay, that in fact a 10 or 20 second uh, um, cycle would be what we would call worry. Okay, if it's a five or seven second cycle, it would be called restlessness. All of that stuff is uh, the fact that the mind is spinning in these samsaras, and there's various ego states. This is why the Buddha talks about what we're going to do is we're going to by the mind, we're going to organize the mind. 
so that we're going to uh, put these things together. And the best way to do that is to stop giving ourselves rules and orders to do and allow yourself to be at rest. In other words, stop thinking of things to do. Stop looking for things to do. Okay, That in fact, we've gotten into the habit, an ignorant habit, of wanting to do something and thinking of things to do because we're not comfortable just sitting. We're not supposed to be comfortable sitting. You've got to work it. So the whole quality then is to wake up and take a look. The more we look, the more often that we look, the more likely we are to begin to see these cycles of the mind. And the more uh, uh, we practice also, when we make a change to that, then we can begin to control the mind. Other than it just falling into its uh, default position. Keep training it, basically, into a need default position. I have to keep training it and keep training it and keep training it to come out of the default, which is the old habit patterns of the mind that it refers to often as Sankara. There's three kinds of Sankara, by the way, and that is the ones that, that I generally base this whole teaching on. One we've talked about already is the bodily Sankara. And also the bodily sankara is quite complex in the sense of some people are nearsighted, some people are farsighted, some people have very slow reaction times, some people are fast. Um, some people uh, are trained such that you can throw a softball at them and they'll let it hit them without getting out of the way. And in fact, they look at you like, what the hell are you doing? No, you're not supposed to throw things. That's the Thai society, by the way. Thai people don't make good baseball players because they don't know how to throw and they don't know how to catch. Never done it. It's against the house rules. <laughs> and and so uh, if, if let us say somebody is, is standing to where our hands when they're outstretched is only a foot apart. In the West, we'd automatically just hand the keys by throwing them over to them and they'd be able to catch them. If you hand keys like that to a Thai person, the keys are going to fall on the floor. They're just going to hold your hand out, or maybe they'll come to you to pick it up. Okay, but that's part of the society. And and um, <clears throat> when we become aware of that kind of stuff, then we can begin to practice. Which way am I going to do this? I've got choices here now that I can see what's going on. And the whole teaching of the Buddha is also about choices. We have a choice, dukkha, dukkha, that's the choice. That choice is not made in a kind of philosophical grand way, taking vows or having a ceremony. But no, it's what we have an opportunity to look at every moment. I can either do the things that I'm habit-bound in doing, or I can do something new. If I'm awake. If I'm aware of what's going on, if I'm watching what's going on, then I can see what's going on and make a change to what's going on. If I'm not looking, then what's going on will just happen, and down the hill we go. Okay, and so um, we go back then to the home, 
locking in the state of that homeostasis, which means that some cycle. So the thing to do then is to start paying attention over and over and over again. This is actually the eightfold path is sati, to wake up. So we practice that in Anapanasati. That's what sati, and it's funny like that, that there are so many uses of that word sati. Okay, like the Satipatthana Sutta, Anapanasati. The Sati is a, 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 a prime feature of the Eightfold Noble Path, and it's also the primary feature of the Seven Factors of Enlightenment, just all over the place. So what is Sati? Sati means to wake up into the here now, wake up into this present moment. Another way of thinking about that is stop using the sixth sense of the mind and thinking about stuff that we already know, past, our, our imaginations, our futures, that kind of stuff. Remember to come into the actual senses, the atana, eyes, ears, the touch, body sensations, to come into the present moment. That's what is all about is if we are awake and aware in this present moment then we can see what the body is doing feelings of mind is doing kind of mind objects are there so this is why um <clears throat> the eightfold noble path has this sati to wake up and to look wake up and use our senses wake up and look at how we feel now um, the word thought is often used, and we need to make sure that everybody understands that some thought, a lot of thought, is verbal, discursive. It has words that we learned in childhood and come up and form sentences and concepts, ideas. Okay, so this is one kind of mind moment, one kind of thought. Um, but an itch, pay attention to that itch and you don't like it. Then you don't like it and then you scratch it. That's three mind moments that didn't have any words to it at all. So there's a lot of mind moments that are not wordy. So we have to start paying attention to is this mind moment thought that's a wordy thought, or it, or is it some other kind of thought? Is it paying attention to what's actually happening other than talking about what's actually happening, or actually <laughs> talking about something else that's not happening right now? It's in the past. Oh, I've got bills to pay. Oh, I've got to go to the bank. Oh, I've got this, that, and the other thing to do. When we have those kind of thoughts, it creates restlessness creates a job to do. It gives us things to care about. So we have to keep coming back to, right now I'm not going to care about anything. Right now I don't want anything. Right now I'm going to feel safe, secure, comfortable, satisfied. And so that kind of language that I'm using right now would be the kind of uh, dialogue or the kind of uh, uh, discursive thought that we need to cultivate, to actually cultivate wholesome by real. 
instead of having unwholesome allyship, to have wholesome thoughts over and over again. This is okay. This is fine. And we have to practice that because the normal method of the mind is to go find something wrong that needs to be fixed. That's our society, by the way. Here to improve society. And isn't that the basic thing that the society has for you is you go make society better. You gotta contribute to something. Okay. Guess what? Humans have been contributing so much we've almost ruined the planet. Planet Earth would be a whole lot better off without humans. Maybe we've been doing too much. <laughs> And if we would stop doing, then society doesn't like that. Oh, no, the society wants to keep you busy. And when we were very, very little babies, we were nurtured. But then about the age of four, five, or six, we're put to work. You've got to learn your ABCs. You've got to clean up your room. You've got to do what you're told to do. You're a big kid now, they say. You've got to learn to take care of yourself. So those injunctions then are kind of the rules that we have, and then we modify them into, oh, I've got to go do something now. And so if anxiety comes up, we, we wonder, well, where does it come from? The answer is if we looked at the kind of thoughts that we were having that were probably restless thoughts, look at where the anxiety comes from, it's almost always a discursive thought about some rule you've made that you're dissatisfied with and have to go do something about. That's what causes anxiety. But people normally don't even know that they're giving themselves anxiety until they sit down, call meditation, start paying attention to the body, and then all of a sudden they can see that anxiety. They wonder where it came from. Okay, so all we now need to do is on the next cycle, start watching is is that it's that unwholesome discursive thought that gave you a job to do that on this part of the cycle brings on anxiety <clears throat> that in fact anxiety is nothing but adrenaline which has that fight or flight mentality to it so we either get afraid or we get angry and so anxiety is a little bit of fear mixed with a little bit of anger, and there we are with, a, with an issue, like we're sitting at our desk and the boss walks down the hall. Boss walks into the room. Okay. Guess what? We can't do a fight or flight. It's inappropriate. But that's what happens, is that we feel like we're in danger, and so we got to fight or flight. So here we have a really, really ancient uh, DNA system that was designed to keep humans alive 100,000 years ago, and now that we've got a society, it don't work so well. So we can either wait until humans evolve, fat chance for that. <laughs> or we can actually start to intelligently interfere with those patterns that are based both upon instincts and also instincts that have been pounded into shape by the society by watching 
this is what the eightfold noble path is. Okay. So the important point again is to recognize that we do have a choice and we can gladden the mind. We can brighten it up. We can, in fact, change the thoughts from unwholesome thoughts of got a job to do into the very wholesome thought of, no, not particularly. I can just sit here and enjoy this breath and be happy right now. And I don't have anything to do and no place to go and nothing to do. And wow, what a relief it is. Because otherwise, I'm sitting here from busting the king. What have I got to do? I mean, I'm full of anxiety already. And I think that if I go do something, I can get rid of the anxiety. I mean, this is very common. You probably can recognize that in yourself. Is you have the feeling you've got to go do something. And the, the joke is all dressed up and no place to go. Which is actually the state of the Asuras. That's one of the states. It's all dressed up and no place to go. You're all dressed for battle and you're terrified to go into battle. And if you don't go into battle, there's no battle anyway. And here we are all dressed up for battle. So if we recognize that we're in the habit of dressing for battle when there in fact is either no battle at all or it's my choice whether I'm going to have a battle or not. Now we have a choice when we can see that. That, oh, that guy that I don't like and I'm thinking about getting even with him, the guy, that, you know the one, the guy down the hall that did that thing at that party or at that water cooler and I was embarrassed and I'm going to get him someday. Okay, those are the kind of thoughts of enemies. Got a job to do. Got, got warfare on the mind. Get a feeling of getting even, thinking that if we hurt him, will feel better. Well, he has the same point of view, and so he's going to hurt you back, so he'll feel better. Now you've got a Ukrainian war on your hands. Because <laughs> that's how all of that stuff gets started, and it all happens ignorantly in the cycles of mind. So become aware of what you care about. Be careful about what you suppose anything that you do care about is going to give you grief. If a son, if a father really loves his son, then when the son talks back to him, dad's in a bad state. He doesn't like his junior talking back to him. He loves his son so much that he wants his son to be just like him. He's been training him that way for years. How dare you argue with me? You've got to agree with everything I say. <laughs> and so that's a clear example there of grief comes to those uh, from those who are dear. So anything that's dear to you, anything that you care about. In the in the English we in Buddhism we call that the word clinging. And that's the Paticca Samuppada that we wind up at. If we're not clinging, then we're not going to suffer. But if we are clinging, we're going to be reborn in one of these states. And the one that I just mentioned was the Asura, all dressed up, no place to go. And you can call that anxiety. When the anxiety gets really heavy, then we call it hell. Um, you know, just uh, one thing uh, I wanted to ask you. I always wonder when people tell me, 
that they continue to work because they have fun in working, if they are really having fun or they are just doing it so that they have something to do and don't have to sit at home like, oh my God, what am I going to do with the free time? Because the people that tell me that, I don't believe them. <laughs> okay. Like who well, wants a to lot work? Of people don't know what to do with free time and, and what that really is. That's actually what, what prison is about. Prison is all about putting people in a position so that they don't know what to do with their time and all their old demons will put them in hell. Revenge is one of the big demons. You see a lot of revenge in prisons. In fact, prisons is all about revenge. And the reason that that's true is because the whole thing is about punishment anyway. And that in fact, we do punish ourselves. We don't live up to our own standards and we punish ourselves. And then we feel bad and we feel victimized by that standard or that rule. In fact, it's just something that we're doing in our own minds. And so another way of talking about it is, is that the Buddha re actually refers to it with the word that is translated as rehabilitation. Prisons are not about rehabilitation. They're not about getting things back uh, unified and whole. It's about spanking the baby until it cries so it'll learn the lesson. And so we spank ourselves inside of our own mind until we cry. And that's how, that's the hell that we create for ourselves. When we recognize that that's what we're doing. At that moment that we recognize what we're doing, not in a great big way, but right now I recognize that I'm torturing myself with my rules and standards about how things are supposed to be. I can stop it right then and there, and into it, right there. That's the correct bit of practice. That's anapanasati. Now, talking ourselves into feeling good, and we begin to feel good. If you talk to yourself about right now, I'm safe. Right now, there is no worries and nothing to do to make me feel safe because I already feel safe tell myself that. And guess what? If I keep repeating that over and over again, I begin to get into the rhythm of it. So we could use this samsara to our benefit, practicing over and over and over again. I feel good. Over and over and over again. I feel safe. Over and over and over again. This is okay. No word, no worries, no work to do. Everything is okay. Everything is fine. The Zen koan, or actually not a Zen koan, but it's haiku. No place to go, nothing to do, and the spring comes. Grass grows by itself. Even when the when the grass grows, it's not my grass. Not my business. I don't care whether the grass grows or not. Look how much people work really, really hard because they care whether that grass is growing. All they have to do is label some of it as grocers and the others as weeds, and now they've got a job to do. Separating the wheat from the shaft or what the job is, they've got a job to do. Why? Because they think that there's a job to do. They've been told that there's a job been trained to do jobs. 
guess what? There's a new job in town. What is that job? The new job is to stop doing jobs. And when you stop doing jobs, then any job that needed to be done has already been done. Any worry that you have, any problem that needed to be solved, when it's no longer a problem, then you don't have to solve it. And so the best part of problem solving is, is that it's not a problem. And the problem is solved. All the work that needed to be done has been done when you just stop looking at things as problems to solve and see them as, hey, I don't have to worry about that. It's not. What we have to do is stop caring about it. We have to practice that over. And when we do, bring about a state of safety, security, comfort. If we work with the body with meditation to get the body in a comfortable state, upright so that we can sit correctly, when we're breathing in, we breathe in long, and we know that we're breathing in long, and that develops sati. And when we're breathing out long, we know we're breathing out long, and that's developing the mind. In fact, the mind is in control of the breathing, and so when we're mind, we're breathing. And when we're talking to ourselves into feeling good, also begin to feel good. So talking to ourselves about the breath itself, oh, this is a good breath. Oh, wow, this is what relaxation is. Oh, this feels really good. It's life-saving. In fact, um, one of the ways that we can talk about the breath is, is that that's the only thing that you should care about. Because if you stop breathing, you won't be dead in five minutes. You could do without everything else. Do without food and girlfriends and jobs and all kinds of stuff. Can't do without breathing. And that they say, oh, if you don't work, you don't eat. My answer to that is if you don't breathe, you don't live. So let's do some breathing, some correct good breathing, some wholesome breathing that we're really paying attention to. Recognize that we are alive. Wow, it's really great to be alive good to be alive. Everybody knows that. That's the whole point about the self-preservation instinct. We even want to be alive right down to our roots, deepest roots. Our instinctual being wants to remain alive. And yet while we're out working for this society, we're not even paying attention to the fact that we're alive. And how marvelous it is to just sit here and be alive talk to ourselves about how good it is just to sit here and be alive. So this is Anapanasati with those four foundations of mindfulness is to wake up at what we're doing, make a change that over and over again and we begin to feel that way. And when we've done it enough, then the fourth item of the Eightfold Noble Path comes in, the Sama Sankapa which is now the attitude change. I no longer feel like a victim to society. I no longer feel like a victim. That in fact, uh, life itself is not dukkha. Any dukkha that I've got is because I'm not watching that I'm in the habit of creating dukkha. And when I can see it, I stop it. Life itself is marvelous. Dukkha, not so much. And it's my choice, it's your choice. So this is the practice of Anapanasati.
is to get the, the, the body relaxed, getting it, uh, and actually that's, that's it, getting the body relaxed, getting it comfortable and relaxed. If you're not comfortable and not relaxed in the body, how can you feel comfortable and relaxed? In fact, the mind will want you to get back comfortable. So we have to pay attention to be comfortable. First in the body and in the mind. And when we got that together, talking to ourselves about how good it is to be relaxed, we can begin to work with feelings and feel feel that's where satisfaction comes in. This is why they call it sukha, is because sukha means really satisfaction. Satisfaction is exactly the opposite of dukkha. Dukkha and sukha are just opposites. So all we have to do to get out of dukkha is get ourselves into sukha, the state of being satisfied. Which means that we have to stop caring. Because if I don't care anything about anything, then obviously everything's satisfactory. It's okay. I don't care. <laughs> and so start watching that caring and recognize that when you care about something, it's going to lead to dukkha. You become dissatisfied. The reason we care about it is actually the dissatisfaction. If we care about something, we always want to make it satisfying, and it's not going to be. If I don't care about it, then I can come back and do something that's valuable about what I really do care about. Staying alive. Staying healthy. Staying happy. Staying comfortable. Staying satisfied. Staying with the breath. This breath. This breath is a good one. Funny, I keep talking about breath, and very rarely do the students start breathing with me. Come on, guys, let's do some breathing. You're, that's what you're here for, is to remember to take a deep breath and enjoy being alive. Allow yourself to enjoy being alive right now. Now, this is okay. I'm satisfied. Now, when we practice this satisfaction, oh, over we begin to change the attitude because we know now that we're in charge we begin to feel like a champion we begin to feel like a winner we begin to feel like i can do this and i know that i can do this without a doubt doesn't matter what kind of crap i get between my ears i can wash it out see how things really are right here right now that is the attitude Sama Sankapa. That's the attitude of Shraddha, which means um, confidence. So this is what the Buddha was known as, is the bull, known as a lion. Why? Because of that confidence. Because of that winner's attitude. So that's what we need to develop. You have to develop that winner's attitude. Because the winner's attitude is what then helps unify the mind and bring it together. Because we're no longer bound by rules. Isn't that freedom? I don't have any rules. I go do what I damn well please now. Whatever excuse I want to use. Like I'm an old man now. I can just do what I want to do finally. 
And so I became. I have a question about that. Very soon. Best thing I can think of do is just retire. Oh, you're an old man now. Here I am, 35 years old. Time to retire. I don't care about working anymore. I'll, I'll, I'll eat. I know I will. I don't have to worry about that either. I can just be happy. But we have, so to do you... have to develop that attitude because otherwise we'll get back into the old habit. I got to work. I got to eat. Now we're back into it again. The old samsara. So remember that. Catch it quickly and come out and say, no, I don't. I don't have to do that. Go ahead. You got a question. Yeah, I was wondering, uh, do you still have like uh, worldly hobbies? Like, uh, sure I do. Because I like yeah. it. I can do what I damn well please. Okay, so everything's a toy. Because uh, I was watching an interview with Guru Viking, and in one interview, someone claimed that an arhat. Uh, cannot even have sex because he would not enjoy it because he has like uh, better pleasures at his disposal. And I'm not even talking about sex, but also like other things like, uh, for example, I really enjoy running. Uh, is that something like like working out? Is that something that you still well, it's like walking would do? Just going a little bit fast. When you stop being agitated, anxious, upset, and, and restless, you're... Uh, running, slow down into walk. Then it'll become a meditation. So yeah, do what you want to do. Stop making rules for yourself about what is this. I mean, when you ask that question about an Arahat, you, you're just actually repeating the rules that you have under the label of Arahat. Reading me out of the dictionary that you've got stored in your brain. That's where you got that dictionary from somebody else who stores that definition in their brain. And neither one of you understand what an Arahat is. Because an Arahat is one who doesn't care about those damned rules. He doesn't have any definitions. He can change it any time. Nothing matters except this next breath, a joyful, happy breath. Folks, this has been oh, really yeah. good. I got you that time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm making a rule about Arahats. <laughs> Actually, uh, the word Arahat has an actual definition to it. And what it means is one who is worthy of respect. One who is worthy of respect and uh, res worthy of, of gifts, worthy of respect. Naturally, want to help somebody out. It's built in, and so you actually want to help out people who are really worth helping out. So an arahat is one who is worthy of your respect, worthy of your gifts. That's all you need to remember. Give respect, then you know. Yes, and then you don't have to make any of these silly rules that he doesn't do this and he doesn't do that. But in fact, uh, from start to finish, sex is a whole lot of work and a very, very short, pleasurable outcome. And when you see that, 
you no longer are so interested in sex. Well, I don't care about it much anymore. If you don't care about it, then, okay, so you made a rule about it instead of actually understanding that an Earhart don't give a flying rip. A lot of work. Then if you make a baby, now you really got a lot of work for years. <laughs> got a responsibility. Got to train up the next air hot, you know. <laughs> but I could find plenty of potential air hots without going making extra copies. And so Actually, sex falls away naturally anyway. You probably would have a smile on your face when I said that almost all the customers of Viagra are men. Sorry, Art. Old men want it. And they're not willing to. You know, there's something funny about that. And that is, is that when we are young men, we are driven by our hormones. And a lot of people would recognize that and say, wow, I wish I would not be bothered by all of these hormones and all their cycles. And what." And then when we get old and we don't have those cycles anymore, we want them back again. Right? So a wise one is just going to let it go. Just let it go. I mean, you were driven by that. And I just let it go. I'm okay. Yeah, she's beautiful. I like how she looks, but I don't want her. Because I know all of the outcome and all the Duke is going to come with it. I mean, you don't know what kind of mouth that woman's got. <laughs> uh, that's, one, that's one way to think about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, be careful of what you want. <laughs> be careful what you wish for. Exactly. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. And when we wish, then that's in fact uh okay. Why don't we do that? It's been about an hour. Let's go ahead and finish up now, guys. They've got another yeah. student that's waning. Uh and I think that this actually is a fairly good time to quit because I'm actually in a samsara myself right now. Repeating the same thing over and over and over again. This just happens to be wholesome. <laughs> okay, so. Um, All right. Thank you very yeah, much, Delrado. We will see you. See you next time. Okay. All right. Call call again soon, and we'll continue with our conversation. But meanwhile, I've given you a way to practice. Joy, breathing. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> all you should care about is the next breath. Okay, bye-bye, right. guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.